0: Well, thank you, worship team. Great to sing those Christmas carols again. Welcome, and take your Bibles and turn with me to the book of Colossians. We'll continue our study, even though it's Christmas, and especially because of Christmas, as we will see a description of the baby born in a manger. I'd like us actually to um, read that passage again. By the way, it's page 954. 954, if you're using the uh, Bibles we provide. I'd like us to read the passage, verses 15, 16, and 17 of Colossians 1. He, referring to Jesus, He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For by Him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things were created by him, Jesus, and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. When Jesus was born, if you know the Christmas story from Luke 2, Mary wrapped him in swaddling clothes, and laid them in a manger. A manger is made of what material? Wood, most certainly. The farm where I grew up, uh, the barn is still there, built in 1929. It has a manger. The manger is a a wood feeding trough, and then some wood slats you can put the hay behind, and it's a manger. And 2,000 years later, mangers are still made of wood. The Theological irony is that Jesus is laid in a manger made of wood created by who? By him. By Jesus. All things were created by him. Every piece of wood that's building this building or anything else is the creation of Jesus Christ yesterday I picked up this stick that was laying on the on the ground it looks like it's ready for uh for a bonfire or something you'd toss away but do we realize the miracle in a simple stick i understand that the uh, every stick coming from a branch or trunk of a tree contains cells called xylem that use Capillary action to draw water from the soil around the tree and defying gravity, H2O mirror, uh, molecules rise through the tree and feed the tree through this process of photosynthesis as cells interact with sunlight. And we have trees and wood and mangers and buildings. Because someone designed that. Someone someone created it first from their mind and then intentionally designed, created, and sustained it. And it's our Savior. The one who died for our sins and rose again. Paul has been explaining to the Colossian church there in the first century about Jesus, first as Savior, if you think back to our study from last week in verses 13 and 14, describing how He rescued us, God rescued us from the dominion of darkness, unbelief, dominated bondage to Satan and brought us into the kingdom of the Son He loves, Jesus Christ, who is then described in verse 14, in whom, Christ, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. And so first order of importance is to realize He is our Savior, but the reason He has the authority to save is because He is actually our Creator. He's the, in, he's the image of the invisible God. So let's just unpack this a bit phrase by phrase. Very important phrases. In fact, many Bible scholars believe that the particular structure of these three verses are part of an ancient hymn that would have been sung in a church in the first century. It's just so kind of arranged that it fits. Just as we might sing in response to learning of Christ, come and worship, come and worship, worship Christ the newborn King. That has a song sound to it. As does this. He is the image of the invisible God. Very simply, it is saying that Jesus is the visible version of the invisible God. Image is what you see. Of course, an image can be a, a graven image in a negative sense, but it just means simply visible in a sense, like a, like a photo. Uh, last year, just a little more, over a year, I was in the Philippines had an opportunity to teach a couple weeks at Word of Life and uh, uh, Bible Institute there. And as I introduced the class, I wanted to kind of introduce my family, and so I brought along a picture, several pictures of my family. But I wanted them to know, because I came alone, Priscilla didn't come with me, but I wanted them to know a little bit more. And so I, I brought this picture, I've got this, this picture you can't see. There we go. i have him this picture, and so most of the people had never met her. They didn't doubt that she existed, but by having an image of her, they knew just a little bit more of what she was like. Shorter, prettier, but they would know a little bit more of what, you know, what the problem is here. I never turned this on. Everybody looks back there like they're the problem. Jesus is God made visible, and the New Testament was very clear so that we understood he's actually God who is made visible. John 1.14, the word, meaning Jesus Christ in that context, became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. So when people saw Jesus, they were actually seeing God's glory, and that was demonstrated, especially in John, by a series of some seven miracles. And after the first one, it says that this was the first time that the disciples had seen, or his glory was made manifest to them. John one eighteen: no one's ever seen God, the only God who's at the Father's side. He has made him known. So the second half of the verse describing Jesus at the Father's side, who has made known what god is like john fourteen nine. jesus would say he who has seen me has actually seen the father because they are one in the mystery of the triune nature of god and then hebrews 1 3 he is the radiance of his glory god's the father's glory and the exact representation of his neighbor na- uh, nature so jesus is god in visible form as you read the Gospels, you would do well to maybe even jot down what you discover about the person of Jesus, because when you see the nature of Jesus, what he said, what he did, you are actually experiencing what God is like. And as you begin to absorb who Jesus is, you begin to understand him, you begin to need Him, you love Him, you find yourself more comfortable talking to Him. And prayer takes on this added dimension that He understands me. And I understand Him, this personal relationship we have by faith in Christ. We know that Jesus cares about our shame because He showed compassion on the woman caught in adultery. We know Jesus cares about our physical pain and disabilities because Jesus was touching and healing those who were sick. We will pray different when we know God better through the person of Jesus. So it might be that you need to pray, Lord, I know I feel all alone in this misery right now. I'm kind of like that woman who was bleeding for 12 years and couldn't get any help from the doctor, but Jesus took note of that single individual and her suffering and cared. God, you know, I, I know you care too. So it makes a difference that Jesus was made visible. And now the rest of this short passage takes us from this basic issue that he is a visible form to showing what is, we find, we're finding is the real theme of Colossians, the supremacy of Christ. The fact that he is above all. He is in charge. He is sovereign. He is rightly called king. He is infinitely capable. So whatever we struggle with, he is capable to address and he cares because he is supreme over everything the last phrase in verse 15 he is the firstborn over all creation now it could seem a little confusing to call him firstborn Uh, does that mean that god the father created jesus the son no it doesn't Uh, firstborn of course can refer to a literal uh, human child firstborn son you could say But it became a metaphor that did simply mean a preeminent or privileged or supreme position. Because that's what, especially in that culture, the firstborn child, the firstborn son specifically, had a preeminent superior position, might be roughly parallel to a child that has the power of attorney. Some Bible translations then say firstborn of all creation. It can also rightly, and I think better be translated, as I have it here, the firstborn over all creation. It's not that Jesus is just part of the creation, that would be a misunderstanding, but rather that he is over all creation, over everything. The universe, he is the one actual master of the universe, because he created it. So we love the doctrine of the Incarnation at Christmas. God became man. We think of the baby. We think of mangers and and swaddling clothes. But we must think of him in his position of supremacy because by him all things were created. Let's see, what does that all include? Not a tough one. All things were created. Genesis one one, in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth, and we are naturally and rightly, I think, drawn to be thinking of God in the Father sense. What's the second verse of the Bible? And the Spirit moved across the face of the waters. Oh, so it's Father and Spirit. This is like it closes the loop of the the triune teamwork unity in creation. So that when God said. When, when Genesis 1 says, Let us make man in our own image, it is this plural yet singular, three in one nature of God that creates. Specifically, Jesus is highlighted here. Or as it says in Hebrews 1 about Jesus, the Creator, God, after He spoke long ago to the fathers and the prophets in many portions and in many ways, in these last days, referring to the first century, in these last days, has spoken to us in his Son. God speaks, in his Son, whom he appointed heir in charge of all things, through whom he also made the world. Jesus is our Savior, because first of all, he was our creator. He can save us, because we were his idea to begin with. And he would know the condition he would know that he gave us free will. He would know that we would sin, and he would know that he would be the only solution to our sin. I, I think we need to understand there is no mother nature. You can you can maybe just rightly purge that from your vocabulary. Mother nature is a is is, is a fake. God is our creator. He created all things through His Son, Jesus Christ. What things? Verse 16. Things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible. That's two ways of saying everything. If you picture it as this planet and everything not on this planet, that's earth and heavens. Or you can picture it as visible, and invisible, so whether you can see it or not, if it exists, he made it. And then he goes on to describe, I think the first phrase, I'd rather, is a description of that which is visible. Heavens and earth are visible. So Jesus created all that we would call the natural world, and by natural we simply mean the visible, tangible things. Everything that has been seen or could yet be seen because actually all that exists in the physical world has not yet been seen. We're getting to know more and more about it. Think microscopically. When you you see a a human being, you know that we are made up of organs, which are made up of tissue, which are made up of cells, which are made up of molecules, which are made up of atoms, which are made up of a nucleus, uh, protons, and Electrons. Fifth graders, did I get that right? And so as, as mankind has delved deeper and deeper into that which is smaller and smaller, they discover things that Jesus has made. We didn't always know those things existed. James Clark Maxwell, 1873, wrote an article hypothesizing about molecules. About 50 years later, a French physicist, Jean Parine, in 1926, proved their existence and won a Nobel Prize in physics for confirming the existence of molecules. Just discovering what Jesus made. Go from microscopically to thinking telescopically. We live on an Earth which is part, of course, of a solar system orbiting the sun, and our solar system is part of which galaxy? Milky Way galaxy, which we discover is actually a part of a Cluster, it's called, of galaxies containing about 50 galaxies known in science as the local group. thought that was a very creative name. Local group. And galaxy clusters are grouped into super clusters of some dozen or more clusters of galaxies, of which our solar system is a part and the Earth and Wisconsin. Here we are. They're just going to keep discovering things that are visible. Telescopes begin to give mankind a better view of what's out there. Uh, You perhaps are familiar with, or at least have heard of the Hubble telescope, which then has has magnified that beyond everything else for it. And now I understand that in March of 2021, the James Webb Space Telescope is scheduled to be launched, which will be able to see a hundred times further than the Hubble telescope. And they're going to just keep finding out how supreme our Savior really is. So as we enjoy, we live in a great part of the country, the waves of Lake Michigan or the trails of Moraine or Wabadonia Park, whatever it is you enjoy, if you enjoy it without worshiping Jesus, you're missing out on much of the enjoyment that we are meant to experience as believers in Christ. This Christmas, if you hand make some gifts, uh, I think you deserve a little special measure of gratitude. You made it. And if you enjoy something in the created world, Christ deserves praise for making it. And if you ever doubt that Jesus Christ is adequate for your struggle or situation, you just need to open your eyes and look around. He created all things visible and invisible. So some things He created, you know, I cannot see and will not see here. He lists these. Whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things were created by Him and for Him. These four terms in the New Testament describe the spirit realm. In particularly, these uh, are usually mentioning the demonic spirit world, though it could be applied to both. But it's describing that Jesus created the unseen spirit realm. Spirits are real, but they are created. There is rank and order within the spirit world, and this makes some allusion, though I'm not sure we can understand fully what each of them means. The uh, description of Satan in Ezekiel 28, describes him as the anointed guardian cherub, and we know that Satan was once the greatest of the angels. This term thrones may allude to ruling demons or angels, maybe parallel on the good side of an archangel. Powers, rulers, authorities, other terms, maybe distinguishing abilities or or other rank within spirit world. They were all created by Jesus. When were they created? Because if you read about the six, and we believe literal, days of creation in Genesis, you don't find the angelic world created. But we know they were created. We're told so here. And the obvious conclusion is they were created before everything else. And Job 38 verses 4 through 7 tell us how that when God created everything else, the angels sang for joy. So God first created an audience so that the purpose of the universe could be accomplished when he did this great work of creating everything else, and they could be applauding and praising God for his amazing work of creation. When he created, he did not create good and bad angels. If you remember from Genesis 1 and 2, after every day, everything he created was called good. He didn't create bad. He created all good angels, and so how is it that some are now evil and thus called demons? Satan. Sin, the first sin. Satan, it's described in fascinating form in Ezekiel 28 and Isaiah 14. Satan, in his free will... As the greatest of the angelic beings wanted to be like God, wanted to be God, and that pride was his fall. Incredibly, many others of the spirit realm followed after him and became then known as demons or Satan's angels elsewhere. Having fallen, their sin was unforgivable because they had full knowledge of God's nature, authority, his unique glory, and there was no second chance. Their nature was changed from all holy to all evil all the time. Now then, we are engaged in an ongoing spiritual battle of Satan and his forces against all that is good and godly. Ephesians 6, of course, is a classic Good passage to look at spiritual warfare, if you want to call it that the uh, warnings and the and the uh, resources we have for victory, but let 's never forget Jesus is supreme; he created all of the angelic demonic world, and so as you think of Satan and demons, they are not god 's equals. Sometimes we picture it like like you got, you got the Satan side, and you got this side, and they 're battling. It's not a fair fight. Everything about the demonic world is finite. Finite knowledge, finite abilities. God is infinite. Everything else is limited. And yet, we have to rightly be warned because the angelic, or I should say in this case, the demonic world is smarter than we are. They have abilities. They've existed for millennia. They can work invisibly. But they can't be everywhere. They're not in your shoulder. They can be one place at one time. And uh, yet they are at work. Some individuals, in unbelievers in their sinful nature, can willingly serve Satan, knowingly propagate his lies that then influence others. And the reality is that all of us, including believers, are influenced by potentially and secondarily, but secondarily, by Satan. Whenever we succumb to temptation as part of Satan's world, whenever we embrace anti-biblical ideas about right and wrong, moral and immoral, we are falling prey to a concerted effort of the God of this world, little g, Satan, the God of this world who is propagating those things in our society. And it can happen as subtly, his influence in our lives can happen as subtly as This description in James. But if you harbor bitter envy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast about it or deny the truth. Such wisdom, so-called, does not come down from heaven, but is earthly, unspiritual, and what? It's demonic. For where you have envy and selfish ambition, and who doesn't struggle with those? You find disorder in every evil practice. So this, this pride we have and this, this jealousy we have, these things are not innocent. These are actually demonic ideas and they're all over our screens, our blogs, our books. And so when we indulge our sinful nature in envy, greed, hatred, bitterness, addictions, lust, selfish ambition, we are actually succumbing to Satan's plan for our life. What do we do? Recognize the supremacy of Jesus Christ because he created all things including all invisible beings that are opposed to us. Recognize the supremacy of Christ and submit to to the supremacy of Christ. Later in James, he writes, Submit yourselves then to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Come near to God, and he will come near to you. It is the most, to me, the most basic, uh, sim- simple, profound view of spiritual battle that we will ever experience. Because if we submit to God in obedience, Satan becomes powerless. Do we realize that? And so we need to focus not on on, on, you know what do you say to the demons? We have no real instructions for believers in that in the in the letters of the New Testament. But we do have instructions about how to obey, depending on the power of the Spirit and upon the advocacy of Jesus Christ Himself. Hebrews, so encouraging. We do not have a high priest, it's a reference to Jesus. Who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who, in every respect, has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. So, whatever we face, Jesus gets it because he was here and he truly experienced temptation that's a fascinating thought and study in itself but knowing that he understands through his human experience though he didn't sin understands our temptation let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in time of need what time of need when we are tempted and so while we understand the the, the, the unseen power of of the demonic world and the way it can subtly influence through so many different means, we need to be focusing our heart and mind on the supremacy of Jesus, submit to him, and draw near to him. He draws near to us, and he is there to help us with whatever it is that tempts us. He is supreme. All things were created by him and for him. They exist not for our enjoyment. We cannot make demands on what we must have to enjoy. But whatever we have and enjoy, it is for his glory. The entire creation, our entire planet, was designed to glorify God. Now, if Jesus created all things, he created this planet, Why does this planet have environmental problems? Why is there pollution? Do we need to protect the environment? Why would I bring up that controversy in a sermon? Because, in a wonderful way, the scripture addresses it. And so, regardless of any debate about causes, our creation is not in perfect, God's creation is not in perfect shape, Why is that and what will happen to it? Romans 8. For the creation, and again, that's the right name. The environment kind of leaves God out completely. The creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. Something is going to happen. For the creation was subjected to futility, think Adam and Eve, in hope. So that wasn't the end in confidence that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. And not only the creation, physical creation earth, but we ourselves groan inwardly as we eagerly await our adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. Anybody anxious for the redemption of the body? So, Adam and Eve's sin began a downward spiral of futility and corruption. Suddenly there were thorns. Paradise was no more perfect. Or as one scholar put it, all creation suffers in the backwash of Adam's sin. So now there's mold and there's rust. There's contaminants that cause diseases. Arthritis in our knees. We're groaning because of sin. Let's not forget the cause. Everything is spiritual. We groan because of a sinful world and the effects of sin, but we groan towards heaven. We groan towards our redemption as believers in Christ. Groaning precedes. Glory! So it's very good news that we read here that God is going to fix what is wrong in the created world, just as he will fix what is wrong when he gives believers in Christ a new body. And even in a uh, process form, as there is an age coming called, we call the millennium, uh, based on the truths of prophecy, Revelation 20, and, and many of the Old Testament books, in which there will be a, a new order on earth. And uh, Isaiah, for example, Isaiah 35:1 says that the deserts will bloom like a rose. God will restore what is broken. So our job, when it comes to the creation slash environment, is to be good stewards. Be good stewards. But we don't need to cave in to the frantic voices of fear. God has this. For one thing, he has created the earth with an amazing resiliency, but better yet, he will redeem the earth itself. All things were created by him and for him. He is also supreme, verse 7, in that he is preexistent and sustains all things. Verse 17, He is before all things, and in Him all things hold together. The little preposition before is a very simple time indicator. He is before all things. The order of my day is coffee before work. Okay? Christ is before all things. So all things had a beginning except for Christ, who had no beginning. Because Christ is God and God is eternal. And so He is before all things. John one one in the beginning was the Word, reference again to Jesus, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. There's an equation there, just even grammatically, Jesus is and was God. He was in the beginning with God. There is no, no starting point because Jesus is eternal. Two of the better known Christmas prophecies also reference the eternal nature of Jesus. 700 years B.C., before Christ, 700 years before Christ, Micah the prophet wrote, But as for you, Bethlehem, from you one will go forth for me to be ruler in Israel, whose origins are from long ago, from the days of eternity. So God, of course, who is above times and knows all things, revealed to a real human being, Micah the prophet, that Jesus would come and he would come at a certain place, which he did, Bethlehem, and so very clearly, if someone is going to be born in Bethlehem, they are a human being. But then he flips to the other part of the nature of Christ and his incarnation. But his origins are actually from long ago, from eternity. So he is both born, but he has existed forever. That's the nature of Jesus, who is fully man and fully God. And he had to be fully man and fully God in order to be our Savior because he had to be man in order to die. God can't die. He had to be man in order to die, but he had to be God in order for that death to and resurrection to pay for the penalty of our sins to be able to give us eternal life. It's a beautiful and perfect plan embedded in the nature of who Jesus actually is. Or Isaiah 9-6, which is read earlier during our worship uh, time. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given. Clearly, that's a reference to the humanity of Jesus. And the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father. Why is that no contradiction to call him the Son and the Father? Because Jesus said, I and the Father are one. John 10. He is God and he is man. He existed always. That's why he could create. Because something has to be there before there can be anything. And so for there to be anything, all of which was caused, there has to be an uncaused cause. Which is the eternal triune God. In him, all things hold together. In, through Christ, all things hold together. Why does gravity work? Why does it work so perfectly that we would be on the single planet that could host human life? And so that we aren't all floating around like the astronauts, tethered to the ground. We sit here, it it all works perfectly And the earth is orbiting the sun with such perfection that the most we can do is complain about the weather occasionally. That life is sustained and why does a stick just keep drawing up water to create the, the wood, the fruit that we enjoy? Why do our hearts keep beating until they don't? And why does the frozen tundra of Wisconsin, in January at least, become flowers and nectar for the bees. It's because Jesus holds it all together. He created it, and he maintains it. Hebrews again, his son whom he appointed heir in charge of all things, through whom he made the world, and he is the radiance of his glory, the exact representation of his nature, and upholds all things by the word of his power. Just as everything was spoken into existence, let there be light, let there be, let there be. Just as he spoke it into existence, he speaks it into continual sustaining maintenance. What if Jesus let go of everything? We would fall apart. He is sustaining all these processes because he has a plan for This world of people, he has a plan to maintain and sustain the planet on which we live. I'm sad that so many people fear what's going to happen to the earth, but it's because they worship the creation, not the creator, in the words of Romans 1. Because if you deny the existence of a loving creator and sustainer, then this planet's all you got. And then there would be reason to fear because like any fear, any anxiety, if you don't believe that there is a loving God who controls all things, then anything and everything can be a potential cause of fear because of what you cannot control. But if God is real and He is and He is the creator and He is the sustainer and if indeed, as we, as we know from Scripture, we can have a personal relationship with Him, then we can rest our fears and our anxieties upon Him. So the question is only whether we will submit. He is supreme. Will we submit to the supremacy of Jesus? He designed us. He protects us. He sustains us. He will redeem the earth. He will redeem our body. And he can handle every personal need, emotional, financial, physical need we have. If you've placed your faith in him, you are personally related to the one who is not simply a baby in a manger, but who was the creator, sustainer, savior, and ultimately our redeemer. Let's praise him as we close in prayer. Lord, you are so amazing in your power, your supremacy. You had us in mind before you created anything that we would be the capstone of your creation so that you could have a relationship with us. That we would be made in your image so that we could comprehend and know you and communicate with you. And in your great plan, you gave us free will so we could freely love you and yet In your plan, you allowed that there would be sin in which we would freely reject you and sin against you. But then, Lord, as we come to understand the full counsel of your word, we see that you have planned from eternity past that you would send yourself, your son, in human form to be that perfect solution to the obvious sin problem, and that your son would be the one who would come as a baby die on a cross and in your perfect sacrifice solve the dilemma between your justice and our sin that if we by simple faith would trust in you we could have eternal life and so we rest on those promises as we rejoice and celebrate who you are at this special season of the year in jesus name amen